What an amazing time. In the presence of God. And as we worshipped, I just continually felt that God was saying, there's so much more to me than this. And it's as if God wants to prepare us as his people. As if he wants to take away the stumbling blocks. Those that we know of, and those that we might be totally unaware of. But God wants to remove the hindrances that prevents us as his people from going deeper and deeper with him. From day one, God showed his heart that he wants communion with his people. He wanted it back in the Garden of Eden. He wants it now. And he wants it so much that he's, he's planned an eternity for Jesus and his bride to have communion, to have fellowship. And yes, we can, here on earth, we can only have a taste of it. We will never really, really experience it to the full, fullest here on earth. But God is nudging at, us, at our hearts tonight to release, to let go of the things that prevents us from seeing him in all of his glory. We're seeing bits of it, we're seeing glimpses of it, but there's more. And I want to ask you, I know the world, the world uses this term in a bad way, but I want to use it in the best possible way. For God's sake, pay attention to what he's saying to you tonight. Because this is not a game. This is not a religion. This is not a way of passing time. We have the privilege of being in the presence of God. Because of that, I would like to speak to us tonight on, on the topic of the sanctity of the Lord's Supper. For those, one of the guys who, who are now Googling sanctity, the holiness the sacredness, the purity of the Lord's Supper. Why do we need to speak on that? Because human beings have the ability to take something that's about God and then make it about themselves. We just have that ability. And over the years, we've changed something that God has put in place we took a sacrament and we actually brought some impurities into that moment
in the run-up to this week, before I knew that I was preaching, I felt the burden of getting down to the basics, getting down to the real things, getting down to, 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 God needs to cut to the bone. And then as I spoke in the week, just different conversations, the same thing came through. And this morning, I, I got a, a WhatsApp from Isabel in Switzerland. And I just want to read this prophetic scripture that she felt was for our church without her knowing what I'm preaching on. So if you can put up for me Mark 7, verse 8. And this is, this is now where the... Um, sorry, can we have... Do you have verse 5 there? Do you have verse 5? Mark 7 verse 5, this is what it says. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders? Just stop there before you go further. Sometimes they rush over that part. But what a testimony. What a testimony if the world, if the Pharisees can ask, why doesn't your disciples walk according to the traditions of the elders? Because we shouldn't be walking according to tradition. We should be walking in obedience to the word of God. But unfortunately, unfortunately the reality is, even in, in a, a modern day uh, uh, church such as Josh De Jen, you still find people who has the, the tendency to walk according to tradition. Tradition still plays a big role in their lives. But God has saved us out from that and brought us into a relationship. It's not religion, it's relationship. And, and I really pray that as we take communion tonight, that we understand this is not a ritual. It's a sacrament that Jesus put in place. And it, the, my prayer is that we will deal with it in that manner. So let's read that scripture. And the Pharisees said, and scribes said, ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And one of the important words in that, in that verse is the little word as. They're teaching as doctrine. The commandments of men. They're teaching what men has brought in as if it should be part of what God has said. And God wants to bring us to a level of maturity where we are able to distinguish between what God said and what man said. And that we cut out what man said and, and follow obediently what God said. So the biggest danger 
to many of the things that we do in, in, in church and that we, uh, that we follow from Scripture is that I, I spoke to Lee earlier where he, where he said to me, we actually don't have the luxury of opinion. We have no opinion. We want to follow God with everything we have. And this is the word I got from uh, uh, Isabel. It says here further, you leave the commandment of God and hold on to the tradition of men. You see how the, the shift has, uh, has gone? What, what should have been important is no longer important. Now what man says is important. And you'll see it in, in, the, in some of the understandings we have of the, of the communion. Some people have brought in certain rituals as part of the communion. They're more worried about the candles or they're more worried about should we be drinking real wine or, or can it be juice, whatever. They're more worried about what man said than what Jesus actually put in place on that night that he was betrayed. They follow the commandments of God. They, they leave the commandments of God and hold on to the tradition of men. And tonight, God, what I feel through his word, wants to eradicate traditions of men and reestablish the commandments of God. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the, common, the, the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition." You have a cunning way. And may that not be said of us. May that not be said of us that we have a crafty way of changing the commandments of God for the traditions of man. The whole truth, nothing but the truth. So please help us, God. That our lives reflect the truth of the word of God. That was as my father would have called it the horse de oeuvre. Uh, that was the d'oeuvre. <laughs> that wasn't part of the sermon. We're going to preach now. Um, okay, let's go there. I warned, I warned uh, uh, Amado that it might not follow the sequence or whatever. I just gave him a lot of scriptures. So, I want to, like I said, I want to speak on the sanctity of the Lord's Supper. And part of that is that prophetic word that we need to go back to what Jesus said and not follow the traditions of man. Because a sacrament is something that, that God instituted. Jesus, fully man, fully God, put that in place. And therefore no man can override what he said. He actually says in Revelation 22, we're not going to go there now, but he says, I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. And it means that I'm the highest authority. And I put this in place. So therefore, do not, do not, do not bring what man teaches into what I've put in place. This has been instituted by Jesus. It's been recorded in the Gospels and it has been uh, uh, done or followed by the Apostles. It's been proven to be of God. And yet we find that people come and they, and they say, but I feel your feelings, unfortunately, is not important. 
Like I said, our opinion of how it could be better is not important. It, it is all about what does the word say. So, when I speak about the sanctity of the, of the Lord's Supper, I speak about the holiness of the Supper. And I want to make it clear from the beginning, when we speak about Holy Communion, it's got nothing to do with the ambiance. It's got nothing to do with the candles. It's got nothing to do with the building we're in. You can have all that and it can still not be holy. The holiness of it is, comes from the fact that Jesus is present. He's holy. And he makes the moment holy. And therefore, if we think that speaking in a hushed voice, and dressing up in a certain way, and having a certain posture, or having a certain person um, serve me with communion makes it holier, then you totally miss the point. It's holy because God is holy. There's a significance, there's a weightiness around communion that we often overlook. And unfortunately, I know I'm generalizing, so if you're not one of those, please don't get up in arms with me. But there's, I often sense that there's, there's a, a weightiness that we miss. Have you ever wondered? I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not looking for any answers, but, but, but I'm just going to ask the question. Have you ever wondered? Once people have taken communion, take the bread, And they take the wine. Have you ever wondered what they're thinking while they've got their eyes closed like that? It's a certain pose. People just go into a certain pose. Certain facial expression. And they're like kind of hoping it's right because everybody else has got the same expression. I'm going to help you tonight by showing you what you should be thinking of in that moment. Because Jesus says, as often as you do this, you remember me. It's not the time to wonder, is the oven still on? Did I forget the oven on? It's not the time to wonder, is the, I hope we made a booking for lunch because otherwise we're not going to get place. It's a time to remember Jesus. I want to say this, and I want you to hear my heart. Sometimes, communion is treated as an add-on to the other stuff we do. And yet, communion is one of the two instructions that Jesus gave, say, do this. But communion, we try and sometimes fit communion into when it's convenient for us. But I want to say this, communion is not an add-on. It's part of what we do. It's not something the church thought up. Jesus himself instituted communion. So we can't accredit this action to a specific group or a specific church. It's not an add-on. It's actually, I want you to remember this way. 
It's an integral part of your relationship with God. It doesn't save you. Sometimes people treat communion as if when they, when they take communion, it will save them from something. Communion does not save you. But communion is a very clear indicator. The way you partake of communion, it's a clear indicator if you're saved or not. Because communion is a thermometer. It's meant to be a thermometer to help you check your walk with God at a daily and a weekly basis. It's almost like, if you think about how when Jesus himself wrote the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation, he, he measured them. And to their surprise, they heard that there were some areas that they were not doing well in. It should not come as a surprise. Because we actually know the areas that we don't do well in. But communion, I'll show you now, it's like a thermometer taking the temperature to see, are you hot or cold? Or lukewarm. Communion, I would call it, it's a fellowship regulator. You know when you've got a, a geezer at home, and hopefully when ESCOM allows us to have hot water, you, you depend on the fact that if you've left everything on when you left now, that when you get home and you want to take a shower, that the water will be hot. You just assume that. Why? Because it's got a regulator. To check if it's cold, it will switch on the heater part and will heat it up. When it gets to a certain temperature, it will switch it off again until it cools down a bit. And that's how it regulates to have the water at the right temperature. Now, communion could play that vital role for you in your walk with God if you respect what you're doing in that moment. Because it tells us clearly that when we're about to take communion, and that's in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, when we're about to take communion, we have to check our own hearts. This is not the point where you... Uh, uh, Sheldon, don't, don't bump her now, please. I know you're newly married, but married people don't bump one another when they feel it's a good point that she should hear. You see, I'm just using them as an example, but sometimes as we sit in a meeting and, and God speaks... We think that's a good point for him. Or that's a good point for her. But the Bible is clear. Before you take communion, examine your own heart. Because you will give account before God for taking communion in an unworthy manner. And if you follow from Genesis to Revelation... Anytime you eat in an unworthy way in the presence of God, the ultimate uh, 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 consequence is death. There's consequences to eating in the presence of God in an unworthy manner. And hopefully if we have time, we'll, we'll get to that. So I, every time you take communion... And you, you really do what the scripture says where you search your heart and say... Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, look at me. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me where I've got unforgiveness. Show me where I'm deliberately living in sin. Show me where I'm doing wrong, where I'm treating other people wrong. Show me where I'm blaspheming your name. 
show me, Lord. And when he shows you, you're supposed to do something about it. Not get up and walk out and say, great service. God expects us to do something about it. When we examine our hearts and he shows us the condition of our hearts. So, so right from the start, I'm going to ask you, before we take communion tonight, will you examine your heart? And if it takes a bit of time to sort it out, if you, if you need a, a, a sandblasting machine or a jet washer to just get all the nooks and crannies clean, then please get one. But make sure, make sure that you, that you examine your own heart. And every time that you break bread and you do that, actually, as, although I said communion doesn't save you, I want you to think about this. We teach that we are saved. There's a day that we accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior, and we start our walk of salvation. So it's about the fact that you were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. And communion, where that pl plays a part in, in your salvation, is it prevents you from backsliding and getting a nasty surprise at the end of your life. Because some people are sitting in this place, and you're going through all the, rit the rituals, you're saying the right stuff, you're speaking Christianese, and you, you've got all, all the right stuff in the right place, but your heart is far from God. You worship him with your lips. And I'm not saying that from a critical point of view. I'm saying that as a warning. That we cannot sit here and just assume everything is okay. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And in a relationship, you want to have contact every day. They want to have closeness every day. And you cannot sit here happy that you got born again 30 years ago. But nothing has changed since then. Ask the surfers around here, how many surfers do we have today? Not many. Oh, one. One, one surfer, one little surfer, any other surfers? But you can ask him, you can even ask him, he will know that you cannot surf yesterday's wave. It's past. Therefore, our walk is a, we've been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. So the communion does play a role in your salvation. But it doesn't save you. Let's get that clear. So, what I'm hoping for tonight is that as I speak, that the concept or the idea of communion, as you look at it, it will draw into focus the bigger picture of salvation. Have you ever seen some of that stuff? Um, they, they send you on WhatsApp or whatever. People send you pictures, like just little dots and whatever. And as you look at it, and you keep on looking at it, and you look at it, then, then a face appears. Then, then something pops up, and you go like, oh, it's that. And I hope that as we look, the longer we look at, at Scripture tonight, that the picture will pop up and become clear. And you go, oh, my word, it's that. And maybe it will be the first time tonight that you see the picture like that. But don't get put off. Celebrate and serve God. So the three things that I would like to bring into picture, the three... The, no, man. That was the intro. Now how do we land this? 
The three things that I want to try and bring into focus with communion. Communion should bring into focus the cradle, the cross, and the coming of Christ. If you want to know what to think in that moment when you take communion, when you've got, when you've got nothing to think about, if you've just had a blank moment every time you took communion in the past, you went, just to have that pose. And as we take communion, communion should be bringing into focus the cradle, Jesus' birth, and the question should be, why was he born? Why was the need there for him to be born? Obviously, the answer is sin. The cross, the work, the work that Jesus did. The fact that because of the cross, we can say, paid in full. And then the coming of Christ, it's all about the weightiness of what is at stake if we don't do this in a worthy manner. So, the biblical pattern up till now that I've seen is, in Genesis you find there's a tree of life. It says in the, in the center of the garden there was a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And man was given permission to eat in God's presence on the tree of life, from the tree of life. And man chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he sacrificed his access to the tree of life because he allowed a voice, and there was the voice of the enemy, to question the, what God put in place. See why it's dangerous to follow the commandment of man? God said, don't eat. The voice said, did God really say? And the, the result of eating the wrong thing in the presence of God, although it was not but 900 years later, man died. Because if you eat unworthily in the presence of God, death is the result. That's the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. If you go to Revelation 22, and I might just pop over there quickly, um, Revelation 22. I won't be able to read all of this, but if you go to Revelation 22, Verse 14, it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have, the, may have the right to the tree of life. See, we speak in Genesis about the tree of life. And because of sin, an angel came to stand with a sword and a big red notice saying, Access denied. You had the right to eat from this tree, but because you sin, you no longer can eat from this tree. Then we come to the other side, to the, to the other cover of the Bible, and it says that if you wash your robes, how do you wash your robes? By continuously examining your heart. And when you find a fault, you repent. Clean robes doesn't mean you've never sinned. Clean robes means that you've learned how to repent. You have to repent. And it does, it's not a license. Remember, grace is not a license to sin. You can't just, oh, God's going to forgive me, so I'll sin. No, no, God will deal with you. Where I grew up, if you take one of, took my, my, one of my community members for a ride, 
you would have known about that. That would have been maybe the one time in your life that you had blue eyes. It would be natural blue eyes. It will go away after a while. But you don't mess with somebody just for, for the sake of messing with him. And God is gracious, but you don't mess with God. You don't mess with his grace. You've got to keep the robe clean. You've got to wash your robe. You've got to, you've got to repent when he shows you the sin in your life. And then, then he says, then I will give you access to the tree of life. So there's, there's, and there's actually three trees. It's not a T, but it's, it's just three trees I want to talk about tonight. There's one in Genesis, and there's one in Revelation 22. And God says, if you keep your robe clean, if you examine your heart, every time that I, I've, I give you this to sit down and, and take communion, examine your heart, repent of your sin, you're busy keeping your robe clean. And then I will give you access to the tree of life. Revelation 2 verse 7 says it a bit better for me. It says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the, says to the churches. So he's speaking to us. To, one of, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. So on the one side, access denied because of sin. On the other side, God says, you keep you keep your robe clean and I will give you access again. So on the one side I said it's, it's the cradle because Jesus had to be born because of sin, because of access denied to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus wants to give you access to the tree of life, but God had to plant a third tree to make that possible. That's why I believe that the communion brings into focus the cradle, the coming of Christ, but also the cross. See, that third tree made it possible. That third tree, the tree that Jesus died on, that tree made it possible that we can have access again to the tree of life in Revelation. But as I said, it's not a once-off deciding I'm going to follow Jesus and then I do again what I want to. It's a continuous examining my heart, washing my robe, and then Jesus says, I'm going to give you access, my presence once again. It's about the cradle, the why. Jesus had to come. He had to come and die for us. Because of sin. He had to die a death that could reconcile sinful man to a holy God. The work of the cross, Jesus paid it all. And all to him now. And the coming of Christ means that there will be a day that we shall behold him. Today, we looked in his face to a degree, but there's going to be a day that we shall behold him face to face in all of his glory. And when you consider that, then I need to ask you, is it not worth it to make the changes in our lives 
that God reveals when we examine our hearts. That's the weightiness of communion. Because if we, do it, if we get it wrong, if we, if we take communion in an unworthy manner, then Paul says some of you are weak, weak and even have, some of you have died because you've taken this in an unworthy manner. And, and some might not have died here physically, but there, there might be a surprise for some people who has gone through taking that and then just ignoring God and taking the bread and wine and ignoring God and taking the bread and wine and just sinning again. And then one day when you stand before him, he says, sorry, access denied. There was a time that you had access to the tree of life again. But you threw it away. So communion is not an add-on to what we do when we gather. It's an essential, an integral part of keeping us in touch with God. I need to learn this. So today, as we, as we take communion and, and Merv will lead that part, instead of just having a blank stare when you break the bread and take of the cup, and I prefer to call it the way Scripture mostly refer it as the cup. Often people say bread and wine, and that's not wrong. Um, but I feel Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, put it also in the Bible that we take the bread and the cup. Because sometimes you argue, argue about what's in the cup. Like I said earlier, we argue about is it wine or is it juice? Today, it's not one of the two. It's a grape. You've got to go and get your own juice out of the grape. Right? But in essence, what it's saying to us is that it's not about what's in the cup. It's about what's in your heart. When you take the cup. It's in your heart. So today as you take communion. I want you to be so aware. That as you keep the bread. And the grape. That you'll get your own juice from in your hand today. So keep that in your, in your hand. That it will be a reminder of the value. Of what Jesus did on the cross. When he said tetelesta, it is finished. It is completely complete. Not to be improved on again. When he paid your price, paid our price for sin in full, didn't pay the price to the devil, he had to pay this price that, that God the Father demanded. But as you take of these emblems, will you see it today as the proof of payment? You know, when you, I don't know where you shop, maybe checkers, pick and pay, Woolworths, I'm not sure if we're allowed to shop at Woolworths yet. Um, but wherever you shop, have you ever seen when there's a security at the door and you go out and the machine goes beep, 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 beep? They then have the right to search your trolley, to search your bags, unless you can show them 
the proof of payment. And if you don't have the proof of payment, they have the right to embarrass you. They have the right to stand there and unpack everything. They have the right to call the police and put you in prison. They have the right to tear you apart and destroy your life if you don't have the proof of payment. And some of us, some of us as believers, we're allowing the enemy to pull us apart, to rip us apart, to embarrass us, and yet you have the proof of payment in front of you. You need to tell him, this is proof my sins paid for. As you take off of these emblems today, it's not a time to sulk or to or to go into a poor me. Shame, poor me. It's a time to pull back your shoulders and say, my sin has been paid for. By the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus himself. Because of that, my past is past. And I'm going to ask you to be serious with God today. I know this sounds like a harsh message to start 2024, but let me promise you, you've heard nothing, you've heard nothing yet. There's still more coming. But today, ask God, search my heart, O Lord, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And if the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something, even if it means that you have to call one of us during worship and say, just pray with me. We'll pray with you. But you need to repent. You need to cleanse your heart. And then, we take communion. We praise God and we worship Him with everything we've got. Amen. Amen, brother.